A very warm welcome to the Change Conversations podcast, where we help individuals to reignite the spark to look at their lives and careers with a different lens. Our interactions interrogate different individuals of all backgrounds who seek to be equipped for change in their careers and personal goals. I am your host, Mbumengu Betaga, and I look forward to bringing you impactful change conversations. Today, I have a very wonderful lady. I don't know if I can call you. I am going to call you lady. Other people get irritated when they are being called ladies. Um, that I've just known. I've known you now for more than a year or two years. Yes. yes From Facebook. I've literally met you on Facebook. I know. And, um, it's been a week or two weeks of me meeting you in person. I know, <laughs> but it feels like a lifetime. <laughs> I know, like a I think... lifetime. Yeah, when you know each, uh, when you know each other that intimately from from the money magic group, you feel like you've met the soul of the person, isn't it? You do, you do, yeah. and and I'm grateful that you're here today. So for uh, anybody who's going to be listening to us, hearing us. Um, I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Miranda. Um, she calls herself Mizo. And yeah. uh, Mizo, you're going to introduce yourself. Okay. And All right. yeah, <laughs> and thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. I don't even know what you want to talk about, but I'm so here. <laughs> Where have you ever seen you get invited to a podcast and you're just like, yes. And then what is it about? <laughs> So I'm, I'm Dr. Miranda. Yeah, lots of people that met me the first time on Facebook still call me Mizo because that's the name I used. I have moved to, to Dr. Miranda as, as, as I am building the brand of Prop Doc Mom. And I'm very happy to own the name and the title, by the way. So Mizo is my nickname from childhood. Um, so I am, I'm a medical doctor. I have worked more in public health, occupational health and in health management than I have done clinical work, you know, your traditional white coat stethoscope work, right? Very early in my career, I knew that I don't belong in the wards. I am Newa's mom. My 11-year-old daughter was born very late in my life. I am... And I'm a property mentor and a property investor and a property fanatic, I would call myself. I mean, everything everything in my room on my desk right now is about property. And I am a real estate um, practitioner. I mean, in turn, as I learned the ropes about, about property. What else do you want to know? <laughs> no, I think you've, you've covered it. You've really covered it. Yeah. So, so for making the time, um, mm-hmm. Miranda, it's it's actually great to have you. And mm. and I want us to talk. You know, when we were having this conversation, I want us to talk around your career journey, yeah, and your lessons, your challenges, and and we literally can start from when you were young, when you were mm. ten years, fifteen years. Did you know what you wanted to be? Um, how did you come about to decide that you were going to be a doctor? So just take oh, us through the journey. Oh, my gosh. I was a doctor at four, Bume. I was a oh, doctor. Wow. At, yeah. Ask anyone at home that knows me. Um, so then I remember at home when I, was, when, when I was a little girl, there used to be a set of um, Britannica Encyclopedia. And the dirtiest encyclopedia at home was Encyclopedia Number Sixteen. You know they are numbered, oh, right? Yeah, I've got numbers. Like, well, we grew up in the era where there was encyclopedia, and now it's gone to Wikipedia online. So Number mm-hmm. Sixteen had the biology and the anatomy of a frog, the the human anatomy, and I remember very well that that is the dirtiest encyclopedia at home. I was totally fascinated with the body. Also, mm. I was a very sickly child. I had, I think I had chronic allergies 
the whole time. But, mm. you know, GPs at the time treated, treated us as if we had the flu. Mm. So I was an undiagnosed allergic child because I was not tolerating milk. You know, it would just pass through me. I've always been lactose intolerant. I always had, um, I always had sniffles all the time, mm. even when I'm not having a fever. And I remember my mom used to take me to the doctor that inspired me actually is Dr. Mchazo. I Gosh, I hope he's still alive. Dr. Mchazo mm. was a friend of my dad's. And they used to spar with, 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 with crosswords and and mm. and talk about whatever they read. And I just remember I have that memory about it and the the smell of smoke in mm. in, in 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 our lounge when um, Dr. Mchazo visited. And he used to give me injections, Bume. Yo, you know that penicillin VK. <laughs> oh, God. And they would take me three days in a row, giving me that penicillin VK. I remember the smell of his practice. You know, he had a practice yeah. in zone two. And I just remember, you know, with, 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 with lots and lots of love, really he loved me. But I know I, I hated the injection. And I used to sit on his desk and take his stethoscope and tell him that when I'm a doctor, I will not give it children injections so I was a doctor from very very young very young and when my yeah so when when the madness of teenagehood happened Mm -hmm. and I was about 15 or 16 and I was in high school and computers were coming into being and I was introduced to computer science I remember I even had a scholarship from Goldfields that I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. computer science and I was changing my mom, Shane, she wasn't forceful or anything. She was just like, how, oh, Miranda? Remember how everyone in our family knows that when you're going to become a doctor, you've been a doctor all your life, my child. Wow. And at the time, all I wanted to do was computer science. I remember because I was excited as well that I had mm-hmm. won the, the Goldfields uh, scholarship and I was going to go on to this program of theirs and whatever. I don't even remember what it was about. Mm-hmm. But my mom very gently coaxed me back to the MDCHD. So, <laughs> so, so at 17, I ended up at medical school. And I guess it was easy because, yeah, my maths and science were, were like, I didn't have to study, right? Oh, I, wow. No, I didn't study. Oh, hmm. I envy you. Like, like <laughs> my, so, so this is my story, uh, Miranda. My story is I grew up in a hospital environment okay. where my mom was a nurse. My, my okay. father was a plumber in the hospital. Okay. So I was going to be the doctor. I was the doctor from when I was young. I would go around the hospital. (laughs) I knew the OPDs and the maternity wards and the dispensaries. Like I was that child. Okay. Up until I got to high school and mathematics and physics showed me flames. And that dream was out the window. Oh, no, man. And to think that stupid math, you know. <laughs> that stupid math. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, in medicine, where do, where do you use the math? We calculate angles now and again in orthopedics, and then you calculate milligrams uh, per kilogram when you're giving a pediatric dose. What else do you use the math for? I, I don't know. Use- and I did mathematics higher grade, but I scraped through, literally scraped through just to, you know. You don't need the math, you know. I think they, I don't know whether math is the measure of aptitude. And, you know, I think there are so many problems with the schooling system that yeah. you just sit there and you're like, in retrospect, there is there is much more. I, I was always leaning towards the sciences. I love science and I still mm. love medical science. I love medical science, not still love. Yeah. I love medical science and I, I understand it differently and I think it could be applied differently. So, so I was always a doctor for me. At third year at medical school, again, I was threatening to leave medical school. I was bored oh. and I didn't... I was bored. Why? I mean, you, you studied volumes and volumes of work, right? Mm. You 
you have to cram into your brain so many things. But I found it boring because it wasn't, I, I think also the medical curriculum, the way it was set up in the old, which I am so, so happy to see it has been changed, was that they did a build up, you know, you do more biology, which is anatomy, and then physiology, you do all the normal body and the normal physiology, and then they build it on. You do the pathology of the body when the body goes yeah. wrong. And then you learn about drugs. You learn them in a row. Panado is paracetamol. And then the next and the next. And so there was no application yeah. up to third year. So it was boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my thing because I went, I went to the University of Natal in this okay. medical, the medical school. Yeah, the medical school. And yeah, exactly. For me, I just used to think medical students—they just cram. They just—it's all just about let me just absorb all this that's, information. That's how mainly I feel. in those first three years, I yeah. I can relate to that conversation. Um. Yeah. So for me, it was very, very hard because I'm an application person and I must see all the angles. And And I think teachers as well as lecturers, they were lecturing in a very linear form. They were not mm -hmm. saying, there were very few of them. There were two professors that I remember that were like that, you know, Prof. Mjali and, and, and Prof. Mokotlani were like that. When they were teaching, they would show you the future. And they would yeah. show you angles of where you are going to apply. It didn't make sense to me to be cramming. This cell does this. This cell does this. Blah blah blah. It felt like you are just a dictionary. <laughs> oh so, yeah. So that's my that's my experience. I'm sure other people had a different experience, and I know people who were working libraries. You know, they would pride themselves in knowing things. There was. One, one, one subject, sorry, Bume, I, I, I must just dive into this one. There's a yeah. subject in second year called histology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Histology, guys. It's about you tissues, learn. isn't it? It is tissues. It's the microscopic appearance Applic of yeah. every cell the in the body. Yeah, the, the, mm -hmm. the skin, the eye, the microscope, the muscle of the heart is different from the muscles in your thighs. The, I remember those pink and purple slides. There's a friend of mine, Koli, laughs about it all the time. Like, Koli, I can't see how you did microbiology. Looking in the microscope, all I saw was pink, purple, the stains. <laughs> you couldn't tell the different cells. <laughs> yo, that was hard for me. That was so hard. I'm like, yo, these things are pink. And I think also I've got poor eyesight. So I was wearing spectacles and contact lenses very early. And I'm just like, how do you guys know what is which is which? It's pink. It's purple. If you are lucky, there's a brown slide. Uh, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> oh, that's funny. They were all very pink to me. So that, that for me was, was one, of the, one of the subjects that really almost made me give up medical school. Fortunately, fourth year came and then you had a stethoscope and you literally understood that, oh, I see why we did physiology. I see. Okay. So then there was application. Now medicine became interesting. So for me, it was interesting. That's yeah. interesting. I didn't fall in love with anything there. Yeah. And, yeah. and you mentioned that you... You didn't spend much time at the ward, so you mm. ended up choosing occupational health in those, health, in yeah. those spaces. But yeah. what, what was the issue with you with the wards? It was it was several things. I knew even at sixth year that spending all your time in the hospital like that, and you know, we had like professors who still lived on the hospital grounds. My life is more interesting than that. I'm like, yeah. I want to be out there. <laughs> I want to be out somewhere and then come to work to the hospital. Yeah. I don't like yeah. So even when when I was doing housemanship, even though I had I had a room at the doctor's quarters, I chose to live at home more because there was more food 
and I could switch off the hospital literally because your bleeper is always there and sometimes it bleeps mistakenly or whatever. So I would leave the bleeper at home and go and go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. So yeah. so that was the one thing. The second thing is, I don't know if you are aware that in hospitals there's a lot of hierarchy. Yeah. There's hierarchy, like you can't believe there's a drug you can't give unless this consultant has signed for it and prof has said yes. And then you have a word round, you have a word round with junior doctors, you have a word round with the registrars, and then you have a word round with consultants. You know, the whole routine, just, I couldn't love it. I really, really mm-hmm. couldn't love it. I couldn't wait to get to, to escape. And I remember trying to choose a specialty. And the only places that I went to was anesthesia, because yeah. I thought, okay, maybe I, if I could put people to sleep, and then I don't own any patient. The patients are owned by the surgeons. Yeah. I tried that and I was waiting for a post. You know, I did my housemanship at Helen Joseph. Mm. And then I thought, okay, pediatrics, maybe, maybe pediatrics. You know, kids, children are fun. When they are ill, they will vomit all over you. They'll have a fever. It will be crazy. You'll be doing blood mm. every hour. They will be crying. But when kids get better, you know, you walk into the ward, they are on the floor playing with the toys, they are troubling everyone. So mm. kids tend to be very clear about where they are at. And I couldn't mm. place where adults are. Mm. Adults will be sick when they enter the hospital. When they are about to be discharged, they get sicker because they are afraid of whatever is waiting outside at home. Outside at home. Some, and already I knew that something is wrong with this system. Something is wrong with how adults get ill mm. and how they get well or never get well. And yeah. then you would be admitting the same person with the same chest pain that doesn't make sense and they have hysteria. And I'm like, I had never seen anything that makes people sick when they are not really, really sick. Yeah, ah. because some of, some of it was is more psychological than physical, it was. isn't it? It yeah. was. And, and in the hospital, there's no, there wasn't enough space for that. You, you see that we become these technocrats. We are trying to find pathology and then we end up treating and say, maybe she'll get better. Mm. We forget to, to get to the core of what makes people ill. So yeah. I think I knew very early that that's not the medicine I want to practice. Yeah. yeah. So then you transition. So take me yeah. through some of the transitions that you've made, basically. Yeah. So so it was very interesting that I ended up in private practice, but it was because the person that uh, whose practice I was working as a as a low-cum doctor, um, their their partner had passed on. But on Monday mornings, I used to go, I was invited to come and do sessions at a factory. Um, I remember it was, I can't remember what it was. No, it was a packaging company. I've forgotten mm. what the name is. Up the road in New Canada. So I used to go on Monday mornings and spend two hours there before I go to practice. And um and their doctor had gone on holiday. When he came back, I remember he was an African doctor, I forgot his name. And I asked him, so how do you become a factory doctor? Because mm. it was so interesting for me. Yes, I would spend time in the clinic, but most of the time I would spend working the plant because somebody had gotten injured or someone has uh, occupational asthma and they think it's the dust from the factory. They are pulmonologists. They have lung doctor has sent a report to say this person seems to get worse when they are at work. And I had to mm-hmm. walk the plant. I was like, interest. That's why I did medicine, you know. So there was a collusion of 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 what's going on at work with medicine. So that yeah. for me became I see right. That's why medicine is so important because there's yeah. pathologies that we pick up from work. And after that, I went and did a low-come again. There's a plant in Krukastorp, a paint mm. plant. Yeah. A paint plant. And again, people there would get skin diseases, lung diseases, and lots of 
allergies that I also have, you know, runny yeah. nose and their skin would be peeling off. And I'm like, I see. And that became, so I consolidated my medical knowledge with plant work and what happened, yeah. the process of producing products. And that's how I ended up in occupational medicine. Interesting, wow. right? Yeah. And I ended up at a steel factory. Now that was interesting. That okay. lit my generator and it, it was my thing. I mean, occupational medicine is my, it's still my thing, you know. Yeah. It's very easy for me to say, what's the process? The engineers will explain to me the process. What do you put in? What's the catalytic agents that you put in? Then mm. I can do that. So that's where I've spent most of my 27 years my career of my career. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I, so think, I, I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is mm -hmm. knowing yourself though, Miranda. Yeah. Knowing yeah. yourself, knowing yeah. when you're getting excited and when you're not getting excited. Yeah. Because what you find with most people, they will have the feeling of discomfort. But not dig deeper on why no. am I, what's going on with me? And I they know. keep pushing themselves and sitting in spaces where it's they are expensive. uncomfortable just because they don't think, now I've decided to be a doctor. I need to stick it out. And somebody doesn't take the time to go, but this is not working for me for these yeah. particular reasons. Yeah. What are the things that are exciting me more that I can explore? And that I, I can explore. But that's the thing. And, and you see the passion that I went into occupational medicine with. I mean, I've worked in steel industry. I've worked in cosmetic industries. I've worked in, in food. You know, I have worked in oil and gas. Mega interesting. And that's how I ended up in, in, in Qatar um, at a petroleum company. So that still lights my generator today. It's, mm. it's just that. Maybe it happens inside of a corporate. That's the only reason. But I can tell you that I could live in occupational medicine. That is the science that really, really lights my body up because I don't have to spend time with people who are sick all the time. Yeah. I spend time with people who might get sick. I'm trying to keep them well. And the part about keeping people well for as long as they are in our industry is probably what really really i like and it's it's the bigger science for me it's not the medical the practicality of what i know about medicine is is great and it's and it's applicable in workplaces so that's yeah. why it works for me yeah yeah and, and 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 i do you get excited with the collusion of of the business space with this medicine I love, I love, I love it. I find engineers totally crazy. I'm sure they find me totally crazy, but I think I like process. I see where food comes from. I know where lipstick comes from and what you put in there and what are the potential dangers to health could be. And when they change a plant to say, we are going to automate this part of the plant, the science, the engineering science makes sense to a medical person because I know what we are cutting out and what contact it is mm -hmm. with the human body and how it can harm or make the human body better. So yeah, there's lots of it. And industrial psychologists love them because they also contribute to process. So that's what I like. I could never be an engineer. I don't think I, I think like them because there's a part of me that has got lots of empathy with a, with a human being with the human soul. So I've really, really, really loved it, being in occupational medicine. And then HIV came along. My goodness, mm -hmm. when we were at the height of HIV in the 90s, mm. it devastated industry, right? Because most people were ill. I had no choice but to do an, a diploma now in HIV management. Yeah. And then I was exposed to, oh, this is the greater science. There's a way that governments decide how they're going to procure medicine for a country, how hospitals are built, how we decentralize or centralize certain things in, 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 medica, in medicine provision. Mm -hmm. And health management became interesting. That's how I ended up doing a master's in public health. 
I, I was ready to do an MBA until I was dissuaded, dissuaded. But, you know, it will take you out of medicine totally. And you really like medicine. So mm -hmm. I ended up doing an MPA. Again, totally interesting. I could be, I could work as an advisor for Zuelim Kize. I could never be Zuelim Kize. Never. You would have to play politics. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, I have no, yeah, I have no tact or timing. I, I politics would kill me, and they would kill me as well. So I think, you know, when you see the vaccine roll out right now with the COVID, you sit there and empathize with government because it's so hard managing our panic, managing the purse, and managing sides where you have got people who different scientists. You've got scientists who are pro-vex. Who, who will vaccinate you happily and anti-vax and then the anti-vax and both sides being totally right they've got a point of view great but and then you've got the public that's just criticizing and then you've got politicians yeah so yeah. Then, but that's my space you know public health interests me in that way it's another science there's a science you know, mm -hmm. they will treat you, Bume, and give you a chance to live as opposed mm -hmm. to a 94-year-old. With a 94-year-old, we sit there and we're like, they've had their years, hey? Let's switch off the ventilator. Yeah, there is co something called rationalization of resources. Yeah. So if I have to... If I have to put on a ventilator an 11-year-old and a 94-year-old, we will give the 11-year-old a chance a in chance public hospitals. In yeah. yeah, because 94-year-old has lived. It's, it's very hard, but you can see where it comes from. And there's a way of empathizing and thinking about it. So, you know, sci medical science is interesting, guys. I love but, it. But, but difficult decisions, though, that you have to make because... Because the decisions about people, isn't it? And human, human life. Yeah, human life. And yeah, and remember, a 94-year-old has got history with how many people? And you are almost making a God decision about whether to let them live. Like, that's scary, scary, scary stuff. So there are people who were made for that and who make, you know, I, I admire my professors who stay in hospital until death. I just don't have the heart for it, yeah? Mm. But those are the kind of decisions. So it's been very, very interesting. I've had it, an interesting medical life, to be honest. Yeah. I've worked in HIV. I have had to work in countries that you would never dream of going to. I have had the most, yeah, I, lo I, I love what I've done with my medical degree. But I'm here yeah. now. But you're here now. <laughs> So, so let's transition a, a, a bit from, from medicine. Right. So how do you get into property? It's necessity, actually, that brought, brought me to, 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 to property in Bume because now you work in these corporates, but what you notice is you work hard. You've got this, this title that everyone reveres, right? And, ah, but you're a doctor but you're supposed to own this. You are supposed to. And my child came along as well, right? Mm. Never came when I was 40. And suddenly you realize that working 12 hours and traveling the whole time is impractical when you have a yeah, child. With a child. Mm. But if I stay at home, where is the money going to come from? And then I have got these things that I've got aspirations about here at education. I have got my own travel aspirations. I have got things that I, there's a, there's a lifestyle that I want to live, yeah. right? Yeah. I want to go to a yoga retreat and I must just pay for a yoga retreat without stress. Yeah. And, and, and when we are sitting though, Miranda, we look, you know that thing of thinking doctors have got loads of money. <laughs> I rolled my eyes. How true? Doctors, How true is that? Doctors have got loads of money. Doctors have got access to credit, Mbume. Thank you for saying that. I didn't want to say that. Because I've got, got, I've got doctor friends that came out of varsity and the credit 
was flowing. The credit totally. was flowing. Totally. Mpume, I mean, I graduate on the, on the 16th of December, right, in 1993 when I graduated. And I already had a life policy and a disability policy. They gave it to us for free in six years. They pay for it. They are, you are hooked already. You are hooked. What are you doing with a life policy when you're 21 and 22? Yeah, right? yeah. You walk out of university, you are yeah. a graduate, you walk into a bank, you've got an overdraft, you can get this, you can get that. And you're thinking, in fact, you're not thinking, you're excited that you're being given money. Mina, I remember very well, we had credit cards that had 4,000 already. You haven't earned the salary and I'm going to reveal the salaries that we, we had. So this yeah. is pre-democratic elections, right? So mm-hmm. my salary, January, February, March, up to July that year was 1,288 rands. 1,288.80 cents. Oh my I'm a God. doctor. I, but me, I have a title, I have a title, right? Oh 1,200. Yes. I had a salary of 1,288. And you can imagine our horror. So I come from Pretoria circuit. I come and work in the Jovex circuit, we called it. So I work at Helen Joseph and I meet these guys who came from Vets and whatever. But I was probably the, not probably, I was the only black houseman at Helen Joseph the first six months. Right. And so I sat with these white kids and Indian kids and we showed each other our we 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 earned with with checks. Pay we went sleep. and picked it up. Yeah. We had a pay slip and then a check with a little stub. So I still have the stubs. Mm. It's gonna go into my manuscript that check stub. 1288. My horror when I discover one day we are on call. And we had gone to pick up our 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 pay slips in HR. We are sitting with one Indian chap. He has got a salary higher than mine because he's male. We are sitting with a white female houseman. He's got a higher salary than mine. Not much, you know, but yeah, it's significant, right? One thousand six hundred is significant. There's a difference. There's a difference. So we sit in the lab. No, Miranda, we didn't know. <gasps> it's pre-elections. Really? You end less than us. And we all, we are children, right? We are kids. We are 22. This white girl is red in the face. They are red in the face because all of us didn't know. You know, you know, apartheid. I went to Medunsa. I'm all conscious about the different levels. levels. I came to Helen Joseph. And I discovered that there is no change room for female black doctors. My God, Miranda. All right, guys. Levels. I'm changing with nurses. Because Just because you are a black female. You are a black female. There are no change rooms. When I go down to HR... And all the other kids have got a bleeper. Even a bleeper was a status con- status uh, item. We didn't have cell phones pre pre uh, pre June mm-hmm. cell phones, in fact, yeah. My bleeper was a lower bleeper than what the white kids were having. The other housemen were having. I mean, it's it's that kind of thing that when you sit down and you think about our current government and you think about apartheid, you're just like. Guys, I know it's falling apart, but listen, you wouldn't have these things if some freedoms were not fought for. And when yeah. when our government messes up, that's what breaks my heart first, you know, that mm. I was on the verge, on the brink of, of the change. So I, I know the feeling. So this is my first year of work. This is how I discover what discrimination looks like. So anyway, I discover that we have got salaries that are not the same. So we can't wait for this other chap, a white young male now who's going to come in at seven o'clock at night. I remember I didn't go home. I was sitting, waiting. We want to see his salary stub because we wanted to put them 
in line to see apartheid in practice. And he came and he's like, oh, really? I didn't know. He also earned something like 1,900. But it was significant for me because I wanted a car, you know? So someone who earns 700 rents more than me, but when we are standing at Helen Joseph for, for, for 38 hours straight, we are all standing. You are all, so, you're all standing. You know, you know the reality, and as you say that, is the reality of a black female in corporate yeah. or yeah. wherever. It, yeah. it, it, like every time I get the shock, and, and I always Me ask too. myself, but why are you being shocked? Because you've walked, you've been in those shoes. And yeah. like, but every time it feels like, no, guys, that's yeah. not possible. Like, it is. And at Helen Joseph, Shem, it used to be an Africana hospital. And when, the, when you are giving orders to a nurse, they're like, oh, ah, where is Dr. Van Rensberg? They're looking for orders from somebody else, not you. So, you know, it's. Very, very interesting. So we've, I think we've broken the barriers, though, Miranda. We have. We have. Yeah. We have. So when these people ask me, and I don't remember it with pain, I, I'll tell you why. Because the housemen that we had at the time were very self-aware mm. about things that were happening. But when we, exp when we explained our battles, that because I came from a traditionally Black university, Medunsa was... And they came from a mixed university, but not knowing the realities of Black people. It was very interesting. So our we didn't spend the time fighting. It was, Miranda, did you guys do this at Medunsa? Did mm. you did you have this at Medunsa? When I told them that, ah, at Medunsa, we didn't have these computers to check blood results like this. No, you mm. walked to the lab to go and get the physical results. You guys check it on the computer. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Black hospitals don't have such things. It was so funny for them. But I, I, think, I think it was very educating and they got an appreciation of what apartheid does and why we needed the change. So, okay. you know, yeah. 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 Time, is, time is going to be against us. I need you okay. to talk to me briefly around your property journey. Property journey. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were beginning with that. And I told you that yeah. necessarily um, property, I came to it because of my daughter and the way I want to, and the lifestyle that I want to live. I want to be able to knock off and come home. Yeah. I, want, I want to have the financial means of feeding her and taking her to a private school and travel as I travel without the strain. But and why I, property, Miranda? Why not? Some other business. I don't know what else. But why property? <laughs> because property creates that financial freedom. It's possible to sit here in my house and earn 40000 that I don't have to shuguma for. Because as a medical doctor, all you are taught is that, right, for you to have extra money and for you to drive that Volvo and for you to live in that suburb, you have to run three practices or work there, work there, work there, work 16 hours. And we are culturized into that. That's what, that's all we know. We are yeah. vowed to working. And you, you find most of us will have three gigs going at the same time. And property, mm -hmm. when I learned that you can buy a building and other people can rent from you and you can work four hours there and the building pays for itself and you still get some money. I was like, right. Why didn't the financial advisors tell us? What did they sell us? They sell us, they sold insurance. us endowment and insurance. Yeah. You are already playing defense and protecting something that you don't know what you are doing, right? Yeah. So I was yeah. frustrated with what. And when I sit down and looked at the endowment policies that I'm paying for and the RA, it came to almost a third of my salary. Wow. But there was no income. I'm playing defense. I'm forever paying for retirement that I'm not even sure I'm going to get to. Yeah. But my standard of living today means I must have a second job 
and a third job. And I did. You know, mm -hmm. I used to write medical legal reports and have my eight to five job, which was never eight to five. It was eight to seven o'clock sometimes. It was eight to weekend. It was eight to midnight sometimes because wow, you are forever yeah. working. So that's what got, got brought me to property because yeah. there was something else that I could buy with my money and leave it over there, give it to a property manager and come and do my doctor job and not have to worry that I'm paying for it and I must apply more hours to it. That's what yeah. brought me to property. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the reason why I even became a property mentor is I'm upset. I'm upset with financial advisors. Really, my business was born out of my disgruntlement, if you want to call it that. I love it now, but it was about that. Financial advisors will tell you, oh, and doctor, you've got too much disposable cap, uh, cash. They are going to tax you. Buy this. You buy something else. Does it bring you money? No. No. Yeah. Right. So that's how my property, my property journey was born. And I didn't read Rich Man, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I actually read um, Think and Grow Rich, okay, Napoleon yeah. Hill. Mm -hmm. And that's how I, and, and I think it was uh, The Millionaire Next Door. <gasps> the Millionaire Next Door, for me. It talks about how plumbers and electricians are richer than doctors. Doctors, yeah. It forever whips the doctors. It's like, why do you think cardiologists are working until they are 74 and they are shaking like this when they have to, to give you a heart sauna or whatever? It's because they are forever indebted. So yeah. we've got access to debt. And when we get a higher salary, we buy the bigger car and we move to a better suburb. But yeah. we do not necessarily build wealth. And when we die, we don't leave the doctor title with our kids. Yeah. But I think there's an element of the, the space for those products in, in, yeah. in, any, in anybody's life. That's true. That's true. And, and I think there's an element of though being responsible when you're selling things to people. Because when somebody is coming out of university, they're coming mm -hmm. out of university. They've got no knowledge of this thing. And yeah. you're just pushing these products to them. They don't know any better. And, yeah. and a conversation around wealth management and all these other things could also be a good conversation where you could have these products that you're selling to them. But, you know, Pume, it's not like they do it, they did it to, to all of us in the same way. Because what I found was that the white kids already had, oh, my dad has got a flat in Melville and in Auckland Park for me mm. that he bought. And he said one day he'll hand it over when I am out of university. So they were doing estate planning for white people, for other yeah. color groups. They were uh -huh. doing wealth creation and they know and they knew. But black people are sold life insurance. Yeah. and disability and this insect and things that make us feel insecure one day you're gonna be 60 and you are 23 the concept of 60 is so, so far, far away from yeah you. and no one teaches you about wealth creation even yeah. the like i had an aunt i had an yeah. aunt um who said to me never take a life cover yeah. before you have kids that was her thing to me before you have kids, you've got no reason to take a life cover. Oh, this is but I had my days. daughter quite early, so oh, I okay. ended up having to have a life cover. But yeah. <laughs> life cover. And the adverts of life cover of the blue companies, I can't deal with them on TV. I wow. cannot deal. Every poor person gets sold a life cover before they are sold a product of wealth creation. So yeah. I am, so it's a, it's, it's sort of a crushed business, but I love it now because I see that it liberates other professionals to ask me questions, to say on the side, Miranda, what did you see? What do you mean? And, yeah. and that gives me, that gives me the courage to carry on with property. So yeah. property creates that, creates financial freedom. Property makes you responsible for your own money because 
you know, I've made the, the, the retirement annuities paid up. I can multiply my own retirement annuity by the way I buy property, where I buy it, mm-hmm. and the strategy that I use to say rent to buy or buy to rent out to other people at which yeah. areas you can actually see yourself create the retirement annuity. The, the money that I paid for retirement annuities over 18 years in Bube is possible to make by buying just three properties. Wow. Wow. But that's so to, yeah, no, that's very interesting. But talk to me, the skills, the, the, has anything, are you transferring skills as you're moving along now from mm-hmm. being a doctor now into this property space? What skills yeah. are you transferring in between here? I am. I am. You know, as a property mentor, you have got no other. I don't think there's any other purpose for you, really. The purpose of being a mentor is to show the person where the money is. Mm. Show them how your retirement annuity can be multiplied only with property. And people are paying attention a little bit more to their own wealth. Mm. I have got mentees who had been buying apartments. They buy them and hand them over to whatever agency to manage for them. And I'm like, so where's your money? You know, when you are a property mentor, those are the questions you're asking. So where's your money? No, they said property um, appreciates. And you're like, but where's your money? Where's your rental money? Where is it going? Mm. They, They forget to account. So they don't watch their money. So they're not even watching the wealth creation happen. They don't know that they are creating wealth. How you even buy your properties? If you buy them in Bumi's name, if Bumi collapses today and she has to declare bankruptcy, those those houses will be taken. All your investments will be taken because you have to pay your, 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 your creditors, right? How you buy your properties and how you do... Um, estate planning and estate protection and asset protection is incredibly important. And there are lots of people who all say they are into property. I don't know what into means, but there's nothing like into property. You are either investing in property, you make the the business, and then you asset protect so that there is wealth for your children. And it's something that you can pass on. Yeah, but this so is a the, this is another this is another conversation that we need to have in detail. <laughs> I do that all the time in our podcast at the property. No, I know, show. but you need to, I think I think you need to come back and and we we break down some of these things. For, we will. For, we will, for, I I I really and for me, I speak for the professionals. Because I feel like our professions shackle us and we forget to look how we're going to create the wealth. Because we are called accountant and lawyer and judge Mang and Dr. Mang and Professor Mang, we forget to create the wealth and we forget that those titles and our positions at work are not wealth for our kids and they don't really you can build a legacy, I'm sure, as a prof. You know, I am grateful to my professors at medical school. They instilled yeah. the work ethic. They they taught me medicine. But beyond that, we're not wow. giving much. Yeah. So, yes, we'll have another property, property conversation and we will talk to the professionals. And I have meetup sessions every six weeks for professionals. Really, really, you know, I invite quality guests to speak to the professionals to say this is where you can put your money no one is saying leave your job stay there be the accountant you are be the engineer you are but let's show you how to build well to build well and i think that's very important it is because as you say as black kids if you were not brought up in a family where there was a business and you you there's entrepreneurship already going you were expected yeah. to be a doctor, a lawyer, an S, a teacher. And yes. Those were the going, those were the going uh, professions at that point I in know. time. I yeah. Know. So thank you for, for taking the time. And for anybody who's listening, please share, follow, and do all the things that people do on social media. 
because these conversations are always amazing. And I yeah. always think, I just want more time. I need more time. <laughs> Does it happen like we talk too much, Tina? We need five-hour podcasts, and then you can break you know, them up. We can yeah. break them up, exactly. Because, I mean, I've got dimensions. I've got prop, the property, doctor, mom, because the mom bit also needs its own space, right? A mom yes. at a mature age needs its yeah. own space, guys. Yeah. So where but do I'm people lovely. find you on social media? Oh, yeah, guys, please follow the page Prop Doc Mom, right? There is a page called Prop Doc Mom. And I am on Insta, Instagram, Dr. Miranda underscore Prop Doc Mom. I am on Twitter, same name, Dr. Miranda underscore Prop Doc Mom. And I'm a podcaster. Property Magicians podcast is our podcast. Uh, my co-host, Vangile, and I created this podcast in 2019. We are on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. And it's an incredible education platform. If nothing else, if you don't follow me or nothing else, just go listen to Property Magicians. Uh, and I will I will second listening to Property Magicians. Yeah. And, and you guys really also inspired me to to start this podcast is that how you started when you started i was like i've been thinking about this for a while so let's just do it and and i literally i literally whatsapped vangile and i was like vangile what do i need to do to to do a podcast i'm i'm doing this for youtube can i just use my audio tracks for the podcast and she said yes you just need a sound engineer and they can just up your sound, and I was good to go. So thank you for that. <laughs> that is so amazing. I know someone else who started a podcast because we did. It's amazing, yeah. though. It's amazing, and it's amazing what a podcast can change because on my daily commute, that's all I listen to. I listen to Vangile talking, or I'm listening to Lebupule, and now I'm listening to you, or I'm, podcasts keep me alive. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Really. Thank you. And and I think for me, it's just impacting that one life. Is there's one yeah. life that listens and they make a different decision and it impacts their life. We've done our job, isn't it? We have. We have. Well, I hope it has spoken to some medical, young medical person who's sitting there to just view their lives differently. Not all life is at hospital and there is life after that. Yeah. Thank you for the time. I highly appreciate it. Thank you for this. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Change Conversations. If you enjoyed our show and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and kindly post about it on your social media platforms. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube at Change Conversations with Mbume. I am Mbume Mbedaga signing out and I will see you again next week.